doing this? I don't know. I mean, Colin probably should since I've intro the last two and you always intro. All right, should we just start over? Yes, let's no, start over. Let's stay. <laughs> Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of another film podcast. My name is Colin. My name's Tierney. My name is Matt. I'm Jesus. feeling a bit feisty today, apparently. <laughs> yeah, clearly. Yeah, got a little bite. Well, probably because for our listener, Matt just was being a dumb dumb. Because I referenced Shania Twain at the beginning of our episode. No, Everyone because you be ruined so the countdown. By me saying, let's go, girls, it actually should have approved the count. You know what you did. You know what your crimes are. <laughs> bum, bum, <laughs> okay. What if what if oh. it's just uh, three ninjas and Shania Twain episode this time and not actually talking about a movie? A very special. I was episode. looking at the three ninjas like stills, and I know I had a I like had a crush on one of them just while I was watching the movie. It was not a lasting crush, but I couldn't. Looking at it now, I'm like, which one did I have a crush on? I think I probably had a crush on Rocky, but I also don't remember how. Okay. Any of them looked Names all. don't mean anything to me. Okay. <laughs> Three ninjas. For listener, we were just talking about the hit 1992 movie Three Ninjas. Oh, it's because Jonathan Taylor Thomas is in it. No. Just a lookalike. Yeah. yeah. Okay. No, they did not get that. They could not pull John, JTT. For, like, he was busy doing other things. The Three Ninjas he, trilogy. He wasn't going to slum it on Three Ninjas. <laughs> okay, here's the deal. I definitely had a crush on Tum Tum, the youngest one, because he was closest to my age. <laughs> I was four when this movie came out, and I was like the young one. That's why. Would you say you had a crush that's on him, my... or you were just like, that's the one I want to be? I think we'd know the answer to that. It's <laughs> like a four year old. <laughs> yeah, duh. <laughs> I was obsessed in a similar fashion in a, with an equally mushroom bowl cut. Uh, the Didn't know where Power that was Ranger. going. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Truly. The bowl cut. was a wild ride. Just the bowl cut. Oh, boy. The look on Tierney's face when, she, when you were just going, she was like, uh-oh. <laughs> No, with a similar haircut, uh, Blake Foster in Power Rangers Turbo. He was the like the younger Power Ranger that then grew into a full grown man when he turned the key in his little wristwatch. Nobody, nobody watched Power Rangers Turbo. What are you talking? about? Everyone watched Power Rangers Turbo. Don't even try to lie to me. Don't hoodwink me. Okay. Anyways, I will not be hoodwinked. So we're off to a great start. <laughs> So the movie we watched this time around. <laughs> what is it, Colin? Speaking tell of, us. Tell speaking us. Speaking of, uh, oh, there wasn't an Orange Power Ranger. Never mind. <laughs> there probably was in Turbo. Some bullshit no, that nobody watched. No, shut up. There were the only. Uh, it was still the primary colors. And, I mean, and, and, that's and then not some the other yeah. ones that aren't primary colors. Pink, whatever. <laughs> Pink, green, white. You know those other ones. Black is also a primary color, kind of. No. Um, but yeah, we are we are talking about the uh, the Orange Ranger, um, who is Alex from A Clockwork Orange. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
a movie that I watched for the first time and Matt and Tierney had both seen before, question mark? No. Yes. <gasps> oh, interesting. <clears throat> I'm the only one who's seen it. Interesting. I'm the only one um, who's seen it. Helen I'm knows the, the owner. <laughs> I want it now, Daddy. <laughs> All right, Colin, do you want to kick us off with your relationship with this movie? You dating? You fucking? Or you? Uh, I don't think... I mean, this it, movie is fucking. <laughs> More so than I would like it to, I think. Yeah. But, uh, so, yeah, I'd never seen this movie before. Uh, well, that's not entirely true. A friend of mine... So my relationship to this movie is a friend of mine in high school was reading the book, and he was, like, trying to describe the book to me, and I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? And he was, like, explaining the world and explaining, like, the weird language that they all use, and I was just like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And he's like, it's a movie, and I was like, okay, fine. So I was like, I'm going to watch this movie. (laughs) I was like, I'm not going to read this fucking book, but I'll watch this movie. And so I went to the library and checked out uh, Clockwork Orange. I was probably like 15, 16, somewhere around there. And I think I made it like 10 minutes into this movie. And I was like, I made it to the rape scene. And I was like, I, I made it through the first one. I was going to say, which, that's like about a minute into the movie. Yeah, I made it through the first one because it didn't actually turn into a rape scene. It was just like extremely close and then stopped. And I was like, okay. And then the second one happened and I was like, nope, not for me. (laughs) And so uh, I've been meaning to finish watching this movie for a very long time and I just never got around to it. Uh, What I will say is that I'm still processing my feelings on this movie. So I'm very curious. I watched it last night, late last night, after one of the best episodes of Better Call Saul ever. And okay. <laughs> but we'll get to that later. Um, so yeah, I watched it last night, and I it was like two hours and 15 minutes. I wasn't planning on watching the whole thing. But I was like weirdly just like drawn in, and I couldn't stop watching it. But like I wasn't really enjoying it. Um, and I think like there were several parts where I was like, this is really well made, but I still can't connect to it in any way. Um, and so, yeah, I spent most of my day today, like thinking about this movie while working. And so I'm still like processing my thoughts and feelings. So we'll see how this conversation goes. I'm very curious to hear what you guys have to say. Me too. Uh, Tierney, since you hadn't seen it before, let's go with you next. Okay. Um, so this is the first time I've seen it. I have not watched this movie up until this point because I have been afraid to watch it alone. Um, because it has, I've heard things from, like, about it that I've been like, I don't know that I, I'm also someone who, like, doesn't really watch horror movies. So I've been like, I don't think that I could watch that. I don't know. It's supposed to be brutal, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I, did, I haven't watched it up until this point, so I watched it alone this time. I watched it in a hammock by the lake <laughs> on my iPad. Um, and Exactly like Kubrick and Sunday when he made it. He was like, I think this is going to be the way people are going to take it in this media. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, quick, quick sidebar. I saw a tweet today. I think we've all seen the image, but it's like that weird little Shrek TV that people have like superimposed. like. <laughs> Uh, oh, different yeah. movies on <laughs> the one that I saw today was just like the tweet was something to the effect of you know it's really important to watch movies as directors intended and it was like the little Shrek TV <laughs> and just the still of uh, Willem Dafoe from the lighthouse just screaming hark <laughs> I was like I've seen a lot of different versions of this but this is one of the better ones so 
Anyway, sorry, But you know Katie. what? I watched it, so I don't know. I doubt Stanley Kubrick would care that much. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I obviously there are, uh, like, aspects of this movie that are <clears throat> rough. Um, but I, as a whole, I thought that it was a really good movie. And I thought the... I've never read the book, but the satirical aspects of the book are some of the crispest, crispest, most crisp satire <laughs> I have ever encountered. Um, like it's, I'd say, without a doubt, it's in the top five, probably top three best satires I've ever seen. Oh wow! Um, oh, it's like very smart, and like yeah. there's very there's a lot of layers to everything. Um, and so I thought it was like, I thought it was really good and was like jonesing for, I, I was texting you guys. Like I've been, I watched this like two you weeks ago and I've been like, yeah. been like <laughs> waiting for this pub. Um, but I also like, uh, I think I, I texted you guys after I watched it. I definitely was not as brutal as it was in my mind. And like, it has been hyped as it's still obviously a rough we can get into some of this later it's still a a rough watch or parts of it are are rough but it is in my opinion not nearly as bad as a large swath of movies that have come out since this came out and are not talked about in the same regard and we'll talk about that later but um, and that don't necessarily have a purpose Mm -hmm. right it's just is happening gratuitous and My main thing with this is that there are rape scenes in it. They are filmed like crimes, and you, as the audience member, are meant to see them as crimes. Mm -hmm. You're not meant to see them as, like, sensationalized or, like, um, where, like, Hollywood glosses over shit to make it, like, look like it's not that bad. It has a word that I can't think of at the moment. Um, And, like... Yeah, where they don't serve a purpose at all. Whereas, like, these are filmed as violent crimes, which mm-hmm. is why you feel mm-hmm. uncomfortable watching them. But yeah. you should always feel that uncomfortable watching them. Mm-hmm. But anyway, <clears throat> we'll talk more about that later. But that was, like, my first thing where I was like, oh, this is not as bad as... Because... Okay, we can talk about this later. But basically, you feel like the... the like, Kubrick is on your side. Mm-hmm. Or I've, I felt like he was right. on my side. Yeah. I mean, because I think the point of the movie is not that it's cool. But right. I also have more to say about that uh, based on a short feature at, that was on the Blu-ray that I watched. Uh-oh. Um, am, I gonna yeah. be, am I about to eat my words? Um, no, I mean, not necessarily. But, I mean, there's a lot of controversy with A Clockwork Orange historically and what <clears throat> uh, happened with it theatrically. Mm. So, Do you mean like how we changed the ending? No, I mean, oh. like, somebody cited it as a reason they committed a violent sexual oh. crime. Okay, that's fucking bullshit. Yeah. But, sorry. No, I, but it's true. <laughs> and I think that's also where it's, like, nowadays it's video games, where they're like, mm-hmm. oh, they did this because of violent video games. And it's like, no, not necessarily. I think people are going to cite things that they think they can get away with blaming but if you're if you're literate in how you're taking in the media, you're not taking that away from it at the end. And I don't think this movie is meant to be glamorizing it because I think no. you're absolutely right that it's it's presenting it as a crime and it's presenting it as the lowest 
form of existing in society. I am interested to talk about the satirical element because I feel like I didn't actually fully grasp that when I originally saw it. Oh. But oops. But I think you're you're right. I think it is it's a more political movie than I remember it being. Yeah. I remember it being kind of like philosophically complex, mm-hmm. but not politically complex, and I think it's a lot more <clears throat> politically sharp than I'd I say so socio-political. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and the we'll I'll talk about the we'll talk more about it later. I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> I was gonna say, Matt, <laughs> you're the only one who had seen this before. <laughs> uh, I have. Uh, so I originally started watching it similar to to Colin. Um, I, I think I mentioned this on a previous podcast episode, but my brother was recommended it by a high school teacher who was like, "Oh yeah, that's like a great like." film it's like a a a notable important movie not knowing anything about it and so like he rented it from the library and he brought it home and we started watching it and we also got past the singing in the rain rape scene and both of us were just like truly horrified like never saw anything like that in a movie or a tv show and it just felt i think and we'll talk more about this i think as we get into like the, the film itself but felt like uh, like you weren't supposed to be watching whatever the first act of this movie was like really felt dangerous uh and so we turned it off and did not uh continue watching it and then junior year of college i was in a film philosophy class and a clockwork orange was on the uh syllabus and i was like okay i guess i'm gonna finally watch this movie and I remember talking about Clockwork Orange and just being like, oh, I hate it. I hate it. I think it's so annoying and gratuitous and disgusting and insane. Um, and then actually having to sit down and watch it from start to finish, I left that class and I was like, yeah, I think it's a masterpiece. I think it is doing exactly what is intended every step of the way. Uh, and I think it's an incredibly sharp and... Uh, perfectly structured movie to do what it's trying to do and push the buttons that it's supposed to push uh, and make you question things like authority and uh, I'll drop this word now so that we make sure we talk about it throughout but utilitarianism I think it's supposed to it's a commentary commentary (laughs) on utilitarianism and what is the point of reform without change without actual growth Mm -hmm. uh and i think that is a thing that if you're not watching it right you're not taking that away um but also it's not easy it's not a simple straightforward takeaway that like oh utilitarianism is bad because i specifically remember writing a paper after watching this movie defending utilitarianism (laughs) because i was like this man is bad news like he is going to hurt more people and if this is the way to stop somebody like him then it was worth it i don't think i have necessarily those same opinions now but i certainly think the movie goes as far as it does as frequently as it does early on in order to make you feel like maybe he does deserve it um which i think he does i think 
we should talk more about like the fullness of the experience of this movie, but I do think you're not necessarily watching a victim in the final act. You are watching the repercussions of actions that he took on his own free will and the question becomes like what is what is the cost of free will uh, when it's removed so that's all I have to say about my experience watching it uh, but that's the last time I watched it was in college uh, and I have owned it on Blu-ray and haven't rewatched it since finally did uh, and truly think it's like one of my top horror movies it's like a pretty this is what i consider a horror movie like something like this or midsummer or some of these other like really psychologically distressing grotesque horrific films like scream and friday the 13th i have no feelings of fear those are just pop outs those are just pop outs it's just slasher nonsense um but something like a clockwork orange every moment is so meticulously terrifying that uh, it's kind of coming at you from all senses. Like, the sound is terrifying, the imagery is horrific, the ideas that it's presenting are uncomfortable and disturbing, Uh, and I think, like, yeah, it it remains one of the most distressing movies uh, that I've seen. And I'm happy to talk about it. I'm excited. (laughs) There are two other, like, commentary, like, there's obviously the um there's like the whole aspect of like psychoanalysis and then there's like Mm -hmm. the commentary on like police and Uh politics and there's like all of those like socio-political things that you were talking about but i think overall the whole thing is also like the everything kind of falls under two things which is power um because Mm -hmm. even the crimes are ultimately come down to power and uh i think it's a like very loud commentary on masculinity um Mm -hmm. and in particular toxic masculinity um which is also i think what made it like very interesting i like i it was like reading a book was like watching this movie yeah it's an intricate (laughs) i really enjoy like enjoyed is like such a awful word to use but like like the intellectual stimulation that I got from watching it was like higher than well and like I, like I said I I went into this planning on watching like part of it last night and then finishing it today mm-hmm. but I just couldn't stop watching like once I made it like because I told myself like at minimum I'm gonna make it through the part that I'd stopped at the last time I tried and yeah. so like once I made it about 30-ish minutes into the movie, I was just like, okay, I can't not watch this now. Like, there were several times where I was like, I should go to bed. Uh, but I just was like, I guess I'm here. So, like, I, I, I totally get where you're coming from in that, like, I didn't enjoy the experience of watching this movie, but I couldn't not watch this. Like, I, I was just, like, fully sucked in. <laughs> so It is equally repelling and compelling. Yeah, it is mm-hmm. at both points pushing you as far away from it as possible, and also drawing you in to like, how can this be necessary? How can any of this be a movie? How is this something that was released to audiences? And I do think it takes the final act. I think it takes him post Ludovico treatment 
I always imagine it almost like you're folding the movie in half, and the first act and the third act are just like exact parallels of each other on opposite ends of this treatment. But like, I mean, it's literally like you're going through the exact people that were affected in the first ha- in the first act, and now you are watching the repercussions of those actions. And like, structurally alone, that like blew me away the first time I saw it, where I was like, oh, got it, okay then yeah, it has to be this upsetting throughout for this ending to mean what it does and to feel the way it does. Yeah. I also, like, really cannot emphasize enough how many movies are more upsetting to watch than this one. (laughs) Like, I truly... I feel like I've said that enough, but, like, the fact that I was uncomfortable but was not, like... Like, it it wasn't disgusting because you know that what he's doing is disgusting Mm -hmm. and like a violent Mm -hmm. crime, but it was like, I feel like I'm not articulating that very well, but like it, it it was, it didn't like, it was being depicted the way it should be depicted, which is as a horrible thing Mm -hmm. as opposed to like just a thing that's happening for no reason. Um, anyway, or to like further another person's, I mean, it furthers his, plot and his character arc but like i think in a lot of media the discussion has been like is rape just a tool in which you are subjecting a woman character to this horrible violence well look in at order kill to bill someone else did sure. we need the whole thing with buck right no, yeah not at all that was more upsetting <laughs> for me to watch as a 12 year old 13 year old whenever it came out yeah. than this was to watch for me as a 32 year old and that, yeah, with that, it's like she gets her revenge, but it's also like she, that's not even a person that was on her list. Like, truly, yeah. you could excise that, and the movie itself would not be changed whatsoever. Right. She could still steal the car, mm-hmm. and it would work exactly the same. Yeah. It's like those I sorts agree. of things where they're, they're not as, like, big moments, but they're little moments, and they add up over time. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I also forgot, uh, one, uh, this could be a segue to dive right into the, <laughs> the movie, but another thing that, I, another commentary that the movie had that I thought it did really well was about class, and they do mm-hmm. a lot of that yeah. through accent work, which I know mm. Stanley Kubrick is from America, but probably had been living in the UK for a while by this point, but it's, like, really well done. And, like, his, when I made a, his probation officer... <laughs> His accent is fantastic. Um, and the fact that the their little language is like, a, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's like a adaptation from like lower working class accents. Sure. Um, but I thought, I mean, that's not like a good thing to be like lower working people are all criminals, but. I mean, they also filmed in real housing projects in Britain. Like, none of those are sets. Uh, mm-hmm. All of the apartments in the movie are were actual housing projects. Obviously, with, like, more added on to them. But, like, there is a very clear commentary on class. And I think that's to the political end of, like, the use of people for political means. And um, usually people who are lower working class folks. Right. Just being and it's not, pawns. And it's not... Yeah, and it's not an excuse for the actions that the gangs of droogs take, but it like it certainly is evident 
in the fact that the house that they break into uh, that says home, like, that house is a wealthy, artsy, elevated, scholarly home that is violated, and the people inside are violated and brutalized and uh, assaulted. And it's an even richer home that gets them caught. Exactly, Mm -hmm. yeah. And, like, I think that is very specifically laid out that way. And even at the uh, Maloko Milk Bar, where the wealthy debutantes are, like, singing and chatting, and Alex is, like, appreciating their, like, class and their, like, and this, like, art that they're bringing to this space, but is this, like, violent, malevolent little SOB. And, like, that kind of, like, distance between the two. He doesn't talk to them. He's just, like, watching them, and they're very much like, ugh, who's... Who is this guy? Like, why is he looking at us like this? So I think the class is like 100% it's a commentary in class. Like, it's a commentary on a lot of things, which I think is what makes it as sharp as it is. Um, I will say my first note that I wrote was all caps, of course he's drinking milk. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, I I did, sometimes I do polls at work, like in 2019 when I did all those Facebook polls, people asked for them to be part of our work slack and so one time i posted like what's your favorite drink and it was like coffee soda juice uh wine beer cocktails no. and then i had milk as an option and then i was like no answer is wrong except if you choose milk know that there is going to be people judging you if you choose milk as your favorite drink <laughs> and nobody chose milk <laughs> yeah yeah that's like real sociopath behavior <laughs> exactly that's why of course (laughs) that's what i'm saying yeah like i grew up drinking milk like when i like i had milk i had a glass of milk with every meal crazy but like i would never say that milk is like my favorite and also i don't really drink it now anyway but i can't (laughs) it gives me the liquid shit matt this is a public forum Listen, we should okay, be able to speak the... openly about our lactose intolerance. People need to know. There have been that it's so many condition. other things that we have discussed on this podcast that we should be more embarrassed about than Matt saying that he, he drinks milk and gets liquid shit. Like... Yeah. If the Gyllenhaals ever found out what we've said here, they were ever wise to us. Um, and also, I think like the other thing is that milk is like spiked with like liquor yeah it's like it's like isn't it also milk. like titty milk i don't know if it's actual like breast milk but it is supposed to be like uh, like a drug yeah they're like and that's why they're like it gets you all like juiced up for the ultra violence because it like makes them aggressive and violent milk um, plus milk plus yeah i did think it was fun that uh i think it was dim was going up to get some milk and like the way it was just like coming out of a woman <laughs> like so like there was just like a giant statue and he would like pull a little lever and it would just come out of her nipple i was like oh. and he's like pardon me yeah uh, like excuse me ma'am yeah. i'm just gonna fill up my glass i was talking to jim about uh about like similar to that where i think part of the reason is a satire and yeah, part of because I think satires are meant to make people feel uncomfy, like mm-hmm. in general, because mm-hmm. um, I think they generally like hold a mirror up to society. Um, but 
I think part of the reason it's particularly unsettling for this one is because sometimes you're laughing and then sometimes you're not to where it's like funny with the with the penis statue fight was funny but it's like it's like you're laughing at those things but there's like clearly a line where things get crossed and I think that's what make I think that adds to what makes the audience uncomfortable is because if it was just all like bad things with no humor I think it would be probably easier to watch um, because you can distance yourself from it but because you're laughing at similar things uh, I think it makes people feel uncomfortable that's my theory yeah I mean in a similar way in this documentary making of a clockwork orange featurette that I watched they talked about uh, the singing in the rain scene and in the script that was not in it and they were filming it filming it which like Kubrick is known to do hundreds of takes and so like they kept filming it kept filming it and none of it felt right like everyone was just kind of like I don't know this doesn't like feel like anything and so Kubrick asked uh Malcolm McDowell do you know any songs and he was like the only one that I know is singing in the rain and he was like all right let's try that out and everyone on set started hearing that song and they were like what's going on is this a musical what's what's happening (laughs) and then they saw that Kubrick was filming again like literally holding the camera and like filming that scene again with him singing singing in the rain and everyone was like oh my god oh god and the, one of the guys on the featurette is like, and I found myself laughing, but it's not because it's funny. It's not because what you're watching is funny. It's because there's such a disconnect between Gene Kelly singing Singing in the Rain and what is happening, mm-hmm. this violence, that your brain like, dis, like it malfunctions. You can't know how to process that. And the only reason you would laugh is because you're so deeply uncomfortable with like what is happening. And I think, yeah, most of it, like, the fact that it's this weird, like, confusing jargon language while they're beating a homeless man is supposed to be like, what? Like, what's happening? Uh, and I, so, like, I absolutely, and even, like, the parole officer, like, leaning in and being as over, like, he's just chewing the scenery. He's yeah. such a big <clears throat> actor. But, like, it, the scene itself is pretty uncomfortable and, like, the implications are pretty grotesque but it's this like comedic performance in the same way that dr you mean the the scene in his parents bedroom yeah where like the parole officer like grabs his dick yeah yeah and is like leaning against him it's just like and just getting like closer and closer to him and it's just like (sighs) yes yes (laughs) um but it's very much like uh Accent is so funny, though. (laughs) Yeah. It's very much like Dr. Strangelove, though. Like, Dr. Strangelove is about the end of the world, but it's very funny. Yeah. Like, A Clockwork Orange is about a society's, like, response to violence and chaos, and it's equally, like, I mean, I think there's a lot to talk about when he actually goes to prison of, like... Oh, That's so overtly comedic. Yeah. It's Mm -hmm. so obviously comedy uh that it's yeah it's it's certainly a satire and it's certainly doing it in a way that's like it's like funny games which i haven't seen funny games but i know everyone talks about like breaking the fourth wall in that where they're implicating you in the violence and alex delarge in this leans at the camera when he's singing singing in the rain and it's like this really upsetting breaking of the fourth wall where like 
you don't want to be in the room for this, but that's how it's shot. It's shot from the angle of the husband just watching this happen. Yeah. Did you guys know that a lot of the slang they use is, comes from Russian? I did know that, yeah. actually. Oh, I thought I, was, I thought I was breaking a code. <laughs> I mean, I know that the book is like... Let, sorry, to be clear, I knew that because of some Googling that I did. Oh. <laughs> I did not know-know that. So. Yeah. They're, and they're, like, pretty... They're direct... They're, like, pretty much direct uh, translations. Um, I wrote mm. some down if we want to go through them, or we cannot. <laughs> Let's do it. I, I think the, the jargon is, like, an interesting aspect of this movie. Um, so Drew... there are lines... I have no idea what they're saying multiple times in <laughs> yeah. this film. And you're not kind of supposed to. You're just kind of supposed to let it wash over you. I, yeah. I will say I was having, like, a very similar... I know, I think... We either discussed it on our pub, or we just have discussed it at some point in our lives, but, like, I was having a very, like, Mad Max Fury Road moment towards the beginning of this movie, mm. where I was just, like... And, you know, like, Fury Road, you just get dropped into this world, and they're using some language, and you're just, like... I don't know, figure it the fuck out or don't, but whatever, we're going on this ride. And I feel like yeah. this movie is very much Stanley Kubrick doing that. Like, obviously he had, like, the novel as a framework for him, but it's just like, we're dropping you into this world, figure it the fuck out, <laughs> or, <laughs> or, like, or whatever, but we're going. Um, so there were, like, yeah. several scenes, or, like, several, like, exchanges of dialogue or several pieces of Alex's narration where I was just like, okay, man, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Um, it works though. You can kind of, I feel like you can kind of suss out what they're saying. Yeah. I was going to say by the end of the movie, I had mostly figured out like, I I was able to at least like understand generally what he was trying to say, even if I couldn't like pick up with like an actual, like, you know, corollary between this word and like an English word. Um, I was gutty works. Gutty works is Russian, right? That's the Russian base. (laughs) No. Do we want to go through those though? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was a joke, by the way, obviously. I know. This is not a Russian joke. <laughs> uh, so the first one is Droogs is like Druk, which means friend. Um, mm. as I sl- oh, he says as I slush it. Slush it means uh, it's slightly anglicized as I listen. Um, Malika, oh. uh, Malako is milk in Russian. Um, he says you're a big, strong ch- uh, Chelovek, and that's these are all also um, like anglicized pronunciations. Yeah, right. <laughs> like you wouldn't say it this way, and you, everyone would be like, "Oh, you're an American." Um, that means man. If you're a big, strong man, uh, filthy old sumka is a filthy old bag. <laughs> um, so some of these are like really amusing. Uh, Devochka is a girl. Uh, he says, I used to feel really, I don't remember how he pronounces it in the movie, um, but it's the Russian word for good. Um, I think he says horror show. I used to feel real horror show. Um, horror yeah, horror show. show. Horror yeah. show. Yeah. Um, but it's like, it, uh, the anglicized version of good in Russian. And then first thing that flashed, uh, first thing that flashed through my Gulliver, Gulliver's head. Hmm. Those, those are the ones hmm. that I noted. <laughs> yeah, and I and like you hear different words that are closer to like English words like Gulliver, where you're mm-hmm. like, why is it Gulliver? Yeah, or horror it's... show. Well, and that's what I was. Yeah. I mean, I had the I had my air conditioning running in my apartment, so I had to have 
the uh, closed caption turned on so I could hear some of it. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I kept seeing horror show. I was like, the f- okay, whatever. Um, I would be curious. I feel like, Tierney, you should read the book. Um, I, I kind of want to. You know that Matt and I aren't going to. But I feel like yeah. you could probably come up with even more directly and from I know the book. The end of the book <clears throat> is different. So yeah. in this one, they. I took it to mean, I mean, do we want to just go right to the end? Okay. Sure. Um, I took it, it to be like. This before. <laughs> yeah. when, he's, when he's in the hospital and he's like, I feel like someone's been scrambling around in my brain. I took it to be when he was in the coma, they undid all of the work that they did. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. And so he goes back to his previous life, whereas in the book, it like reform works and he, right. it's more of an optimistic ending. Um, and I know yeah. that, like, Anthony Burgess had issues with the fact that Kubrick adapted the American... Uh, my dog is the Zoomies right now. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, but he had issues with the fact that he adapted the American... Because the American version has that ending. Um, the more pessimistic one than the original. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I did, I did a too. quick Wikipedia about the book. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I didn't look up the movie. I looked up the book. <laughs> Let's talk about Ludwig Fan. I think it's an interesting choice to make a futuristic teen into classical German music. Uh, but I think that's also a commentary on class and civility mm-hmm. and what it like what is considered like highbrow or like fine art and that doesn't necessarily mean that a person is good or virtuous just because they like these even religion like him him being super into the bible is clearly for the wrong reasons and i think that's something i caught this time where it was like oh i feel like this is actually how current right wing oh uh, or the fact that the religious the two like droogs at the end becoming cops right yeah was that i mean I was like, are we living in this world? Yes. Yeah. Kind of. <laughs> and like, I think that, that idea of like the Bible, not seeing yourself in the Jesus like characters, but instead seeing yourselves as the punishers or the, those casting judgment and not understanding that it's not the point of the book. Uh, and the same way with like these cops is like, they're seen, this is seen as reform for them they've been given a chance to like do better but in reality it's just a an allowed way to commit violence against people to have protections mm-hmm. but and and do exactly what you were doing but for a quote-unquote greater good um so yeah i think it's clearly about that <laughs> like yeah. about how empty these institutions are mm-hmm. um and how violent they actually are when it comes to whether or not they're improving society at all. Also, just like in general, Kubrick's movies have a phenomenal selection of classical music, and just mm-hmm. this one was right up there with the rest of them. Yeah. Was it the um, the sex scene with him and the two girls that was William Tell? Was that the was it the William Tell overture? Was that one? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then when the governor comes to the prison, it's pomp and circumstance. Yes, that was so fucking funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I also wrote down the score when they arrive at the Ludovica Center, uh, and the lead guard is like signing all the papers and like handing off Alex to them. It's this like noble, elevated, uh, just like eloquent, beautiful score for nothing. It's like it all it does is communicate the bureaucracy and like the paper pushing oh, that happens. And having to I thought that scene was probably the best scene in the whole movie when he has to stand behind the line and lean forward to sign. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the idea like the level of paperwork, like Kubrick is such a perfectionist that I think when you watch any of his movies, having that kind of eye for like why are we here? Mm-hmm. And we really sit with them the entire paperwork transaction including tearing off the carbon copy mm-hmm. pooping <laughs> off the top handing over one having the other one <laughs> so sign funny. it's so tedious and it's so bureaucratic and it communicates exactly what you're supposed to feel which is like oh my god <laughs> let's get through this this is such a waste of my time that was my favorite part of the whole movie i was losing it basically anytime the the chief like the police chief was involved because he was just like screaming every single line like he was just so into it and then like when he was doing like like he would like march somewhere and then he would do like the hard like foot stomp when he would get to his like Mm -hmm. location i was like like that guy was just crushing it and every single time he was on screen i was like this this guy rules he looked like goofy like yeah this like gangly (laughs) bouncy cartoon character and then at the end like one of the last times he marches alex anywhere alex does a bigger heel click than he does (laughs) (laughs) it's so good and that's where you really can be like okay yeah this is this is kubrick's version of comedy like he has mm-hmm. done this before this is barry linden this is dr strange also he went from barry linden to this uh, or was it the other way around he went okay, from this, he went to, barry from this to barry linden yeah yeah wow which is kind of it almost feels like a mea culpa like uh i'm so sorry movie. <laughs> i'm just gonna give you a period piece that's three hours now and you're just gonna mostly laugh yeah um but also the chief guard feels like a strange love character like this kind it, of like, it really does, does. It yeah. really feels like a strange love character. So hammy, so over the it's, top. It's just so big. Everything he's doing is just the most. He reminds Which, me, and then in the like reform test scene, he reminds me a lot of Turgidson with his like eyes. Yes, being, like, he's like so aggressively like reacting with just his face. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Also, the incredible line, which is coupled with him looking down is are you or have you ever been a homosexual (laughs) and like looking at alex naked and having that be like oh this character is a homosexual like everything that this character has done so far has suggested this like very prim and very proper probably closeted gay man which then in the scene in the following scene where like he's looking at the one uh prisoner in the front row who's like blowing kisses at Alex and he's the only one who's noticing and has this reaction of like what's going on why is he doing this but he like doesn't reprimand or discipline them it's just like he's taking note of it and kind of like "Mm, mm, okay (laughs) very funny also the I think it's the same scene where they like where he has to get completely naked and they look at his butt Yeah. yeah which I think is actually that's like normal prison I yeah, know, I but say. I just am such a child that I thought it was so funny. I thought it <laughs> was so funny. These, 
two men being like, oh, I have to go to work today. Oh, okay. Have a good day at work. And then this work is literally just like looking at Malcolm McDowell's butthole. <laughs> I'm, the, yeah, that whole sequence where he's like emptying his pockets and they're just like listing it off one by one. Uh, Wristwatch. And then when he's like getting, he's like, all right, get undressed. And he's like handing over his items of clothing. And he's just like, one blue jacket, pinstripe. <laughs> it's like one tie, <laughs> navy. <laughs> one like... pair of underwear with the white with a red or navy yeah. like, elastic. One pair of boots, worn. <laughs> it's like, it was like, I, I felt like Austin Powers had to be an homage to that particular scene. Like when Austin's Probably. like getting all of his stuff back after he's like unfrozen, they're just going like one at a time and it's just getting more and more ridiculous. And then it gets the <laughs> Swedish penis and the larger pump. And then like we go off on that <laughs> tangent for a while. Like it just felt so insane and not in a way that the rest of this movie is insane. <laughs> it yeah. just, I was like, Oh, a little bit of a breather here after all the horrible things I've seen in the first 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Also, I just want to point out another small moment of acting perfection in that scene of where he's like, I'll read you the list of charges or like, uh, like I'll have you recite whatever. And it's like, uh, like your name. And he's like, Alex large. And he like keeps going through and he's like, and you're convicted of, and he smirks and says murder, sir. And, like, the rest of it is said straight-faced, but when he says murder, sir, he smirks first, and you can tell it's like, oh, yeah, Alex is such a fucking... He's a sociopath. Yeah. Like, he loves the fact that he's there for murder. He's not repentant whatsoever. And it's yeah. such a... It, it's exactly, like, Stanley Kubrick level of, like, fine-tuned, individual moment kind of acting. Because the rest of it is said straight-faced, and that's what makes it such a, like... I rewound to be like, oh, yeah, perfect. Malcolm McDowell knows exactly what he's doing right there yeah i I have a note well i think pretty much every shot in this movie is like like any kubrick movie is like near perfect um but i have a note that just says that i think this movie would be an abject failure in the hands of anyone else yes it would do way more harm than any sort of education absolutely i did find myself thinking as i was watching this that again with the caveat of I still haven't seen a lot of his movies. I think this is my favorite directed movie of his. Mm-hmm. Sure. Like, as I, like, there are so many different, like, choices that he made throughout this entire movie that I was just like, ooh, this is good. Like, this is, yeah. like, which is not to say that any of his other movies that he's directed, like, he, like, he directed all of them very well. But um, of the ones that I've seen so far, I think this is the one where I was, like, the most noticeably, like, ooh, like, I'm really, like, the choice that was made here, I think I'm really enjoying. Um, yeah, and I think that the, it, like, takes the edge off of the viewer, especially in this one, given the content. Yeah. To where you, you like, in any movie, if you know that you're in the hands of someone great, you can be like, oh, I can relax. Yeah. But, <laughs> like, given the content of this one, I think it it takes an edge off to be like, man, what the fuck is going to happen here? Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, yeah. you're even though, like, what you're seeing is not good, you're still like, as the viewer, being like, I'm still being taken care of as the viewer. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's this because is a he's so great. Director. Yeah. 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 And like, 
I think you're so right about it. In the hands of anyone else, this would have been a disaster. Like, a, yeah. a true bad news kind of movie. And it was like kind of bad news for what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, like, I mean, so part of the history around it, too, is, like, it was banned in the UK. Uh, it, like, had a lot of controversy around it. Like I said, people were citing it as a reason they were committing violent crimes, which Stanley Kubrick himself quietly pulled the movie from theaters mm-hmm. when he heard about that. Um, so, like, he, he, I guess, was, like, obviously very disappointed that that's how it was being read. But, like, that his intention is so clear that it was, it's like, yeah, if anybody's saying that this movie is making them commit violence, they're watching the first half and they are not taking away from it the idea that, like, these are deplorable acts and what is society's response to them and how do we have to actually address what that is to actually address the root of the problem rather than just having it become a cycle of the same violence over and over again. I think that's also the problem with satire versus parody or any other type of comedy is that people who, for lack of a better word, are dumb are... Mm -hmm aren't gonna get it because in order for it to be a satire you have to embody whatever it is that you're commentating on uh, commenting on commentating isn't really a word and so people often were like oh I love Stephen Colbert because they thought that his character was (laughs) not like a satire and so that's where it's like you kind of you need to be smart enough to get a satire and if you don't then you're just like oh this is it's okay to do these things yeah and i think that is inherently the problem with uh todd phillips joker it's not a satire no yeah and it is glorifying bad movie (laughs) yeah Yeah, yeah. i mean it is a it is a movie (laughs) with no greater cause or purpose than like an excuse yeah, and actually kind of excusing his actions as the Joker, rather than this, which is putting a light on what taking someone's free choice away from them allows other people to do to them because they don't have the choice to defend themselves. Um, and I think that's like, I think the third act is a very challenging uh experience in this movie i think because you're kind of wrestling like i said earlier like kind of wanting to see the repercussions of alex's actions come back to him because he lied his way through this treatment and because he hasn't reformed we know that he actually isn't a good person he just can't do more violence he can't do it physically but that doesn't mean that his his heart has changed at all right i was gonna say i mean like the scene where they're like displaying like post-treatment when they're just like look it worked and it like there's that woman who comes out on on stage and she's like mostly naked and he like gets to the point where he is like inches away from her he's like he sees her and the look on his face is like yeah let's go and he gets to the point where he is inches away from grabbing her and that's when he's like oh god i'm sick i can't do this so like to your point it's very clearly like if this has not changed him it just stopped the behavior from happening, but like he's still just an awful person. <laughs> like, let's talk about the Ludovico treatment. I think that's a very important part of this movie that let's do we it. should discuss. For one, it's basically 
real conversion therapy. Yeah. Almost exactly as it's done in real life, where, uh, like, a nauseating agent is given to a person, and they're made to watch something that traditionally brings them joy, and instead now, coupled with the feelings of feeling ill, it becomes a horror. That's literally what conversion therapy is for gay people. Uh, and so, like, the idea that this is presenting it in a light where it is supposed to disturb you is also kind of ahead of its time of, like, if you want to understand what these conversion camps are doing, all you have to do is watch this movie. Mm -hmm. And the point is not that, like, gay people are, are on the level of somebody as violent or as grotesque as Alex DeLarge, and that should make you even more disturbed that this is actually happening to people that are kids right. that are innocent and that this is a treatment churches are doing in order to change their sexual identity. Mm -hmm. uh, so, like, another thing that's, like, very uh, depressingly and distressingly relevant uh, to today. Uh, but also just, like, that image of the lid clamps is, like, an all-time cinema iconic yeah. iconic i knew what it was iconic. without even seeing this movie and i've yeah. referenced it in other things yeah yeah and i guess uh malcolm mcdowell was actually in a straitjacket and like uh Kubrick those are wanted... actually on his eyes they yeah. sure are and he like found those things and was like okay let's use that then but malcolm mcdowell some of the like screams are authentic because he really was, like, I don't know. It was basically, like, we're going to shoot as long as you can handle it. And he would just scream. And he's, like, and they said at one point he was screaming and so, like, an an, like a trapped animal that he started, like, jostling uh, and moving uh, around. And moved around the clamps and tore his cornea. Oh, God. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that is the level that Kubrick takes his movies. Uh, I know. I, yeah, yeah, I, I wouldn't want to be in his movies, but I enjoy watching yeah. them. Yeah. <laughs> and the scene in which he's getting drowned by his old friends yeah. is one shot. There are no cuts, and he is actually underwater. And I guess it was like a meat additive that they added to the water to make it that like brown mud color. And just the, the smell of it was making Malcolm McDowell sick. And so, like, it's almost like this movie was this actual treatment of, like, making him ill. <laughs> like, making him unwell with Ugh. its, like, implications. Uh, but, like, those eye drops are real. All of it is, like, authentically horrific and and makes sense why it would make somebody not be able to, like move forward it's like it's a kind of psychologically sound treatment not that it's humane yeah but like it, it does seem like that's exactly what would work uh and the i mean the priest is the only one who actually kind of says what the audience is thinking is like there's no choice there's no free will he hasn't changed at all you've just like sickened him you've just mm -hmm. taken away his human dignity yes but i feel like Maybe I'm alone in this situation, but I feel like in this, with someone like that, you know, like, who cares as long as he's not doing it anymore? Like, I don't, And the I, end justifies the means. I personally don't care if he, the idea of, like, a naked woman makes him throw up so long as it means he's not touching another one without their permission. Like, mm -hmm. and that's I don't exactly, give a shit. 
Yeah, and now I think that's where we discuss the utilitarian aspect of this because I think if the first act of this movie was not as uh, upsetting as it is, it wouldn't feel the same when you're watching him struggle with violence and struggle with like sexual desire as it is now where you're kind of like i mean i don't really care like good i'm glad you can't do anything more because you're a sick human you are bad for things and it works it's not like they were just like torturing for the sake of it like it was and that's where i think the commentary on psychoanalysis come from is that it was actual like yeah it took out free will but it it also is reform even though he did, is it not reform ch- though, or is it just punishment? Is it punishment though? Is it punishment for a thought then? Is it punishment for him, or is it? Is, are you saying it's punishment for him because it's reform for everybody else? Well, what is reform for everyone else? That the like he's no longer a rapist. Well, isn't he though? Isn't he just incapable of committing it? But isn't he still inherently the same person? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the lesson is like, and just like we see in the movie, they just switch it off. They just turn it off and he's the same violent criminal that he was before. But now he has the sympathy of the public to think that, oh, but, you know, he went through so much. His parents even apologize and are like, oh, we're so sorry that we... We didn't know what, what we were put through. Quick sidebar. Uh, yeah. The scene where he goes back home and his parents are like, well, I mean, but we've already, like, he's paid next month's rent. Yeah. Like, And then they hug him at the end. It's yeah. like their fa- little family. So funny and so brutal. He's their new son. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I enjoyed no, 100%. that. No, um, 100%. But I do, and I think, like, Watching other people take advantage of his weakness is not reform. And I think that's the message of the movie, is that it's not... The society around him hasn't changed at all. His friends are as violent as they were before. They just have a badge. The politicians are still going to use him for their own gain, even if it's not for the good of the public, Mm -hmm. because they now switched it off and he's going to do it again. But I think this is where the movie gets real fun, is because you have... You're making one argument for him about utilitarianism, but the movie's also making the exact counter argument for utilitarianism with the cops. So it's doing both because the cops will be considered for the better majority of the population because it's keeping these like criminals off the streets, but they're not reforming Mm -hmm. and they're still doing the same thing. They just now wear a badge, but then he is stopped doing the thing. And making the world a better place, but has lost. It's not. There's no free will involved. So I think that's where the movie gets fun, is because it's doing both things at one time, <laughs> right? Including the politician who is the man that he broke into the house of is sympathetic and does want to offer help because he's like, oh, but politically this is a really good move because mm-hmm. I could use him. And then realizes who he is and instead pushes him to the brink of suicide. Or actually, I mean, pushes him to suicide, but, like, it's not a successful one. Mm -hmm. But the idea that, like, even he is using this as, quote-unquote, reform. That he wants to reform the way that the current political party is doing things to people. And in reality, he just wants it for his own 
game of revenge. He just wants to have his come up. He wants to give comeuppance to Alex instead. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts, Colin, on all this? Oh, I don't. I mean, <laughs> I don't have any of my own thoughts. I mean, I generally agree with what both of you are saying. Like, I think. Yeah. Oh, I also agree with what Matt's saying. Yeah. I, that's what makes this movie fun is yeah. that it's both. Yeah, absolutely. And it makes you question that. And I think that's the. Right. And like, I, like yeah. I said, I, I, I didn't mention this, but I feel like this is the type of movie where it's like, I'm going to need to watch this at least two to three more times. And on the one hand, I kind of want to watch it two to three more times. And on the other hand, it's like, I don't know if I ever want to watch this again, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, like I'm still, I'm still processing all of it. That's fair. Um, I also think, yeah, that first act is so, uh, cinematically wild. Yeah. Like we're we're we have the car, we're like that driving. first fight scene is, it was like I was like this is one of the best fight scenes I've ever seen when they're in that big like gymnasium. Yeah, just throwing was, each other through t- tables and stuff, and like flying through the air. I was like, this is like if the nineteen sixties Batman comics became a real life movie, but better. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and because it, it's like two dressed up gangs. It felt also kind of like another movie I haven't seen. The Warriors. The Warriors, <laughs> where it's like gangs just like in dilapidated, abandoned buildings beating each other to a mess. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. And like, I mean, the opening shot of this movie with that music mm. and that slow pullout from his eye to his eyelashes to his smirk to his whole get up to his friends to the other people at the bar, to the decorations, like that length of a shot really is what an opening, like what a bold move to start the movie that way. And even the murder of like him running around with that penis statue is this like circus like kind of chaotic uh, chase. And even when he smashes her with the statue it flashes to the images of the paintings on the wall rather than actually showing her get hit with it mm-hmm. or, like, her die. It's this, like, edit move to make it, like, oh, you get what's going on just from these images and how quick they're flashing at you. Um, and the idea that she also has all those, like, very sexually explicit pieces of art mm-hmm. uh, and is high class, so it's, like... You know, even the girls who are like eating the penis popsicles at the record store. It's like everything is this kind of overtly sexualized society. Mm-hmm. It's not just these like little creeps who are running around using it for violence. It's also like ubiquitous with every range of class in the society at the time. Is that because you're seeing it through his eyes, though? I don't know. Because they could have just been eating popsicles, but then he's a bit of a perv, so. We, but I mean, they're they're literally physically dick-shaped. But I'm saying, is that because it's his point sure. of view? I mean, that could be. But just, I also think, like, that, st- that sculpture is an actual penis. Oh, yeah, no, that yeah. one is. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, what level, what, where do we end what is real and what isn't? Um, um, another thing, too, is that like I feel like the I don't know never mind go ahead 
No, what? I, I like <laughs> Neither of us had like anything. It, <laughs> you guys talk about something else. <laughs> no, I had a I mean, half-baked I, thought. <laughs> I do think that that sex scene to, what was it again? The... What's the the William Tell overture? William yeah. Tell, yeah. That sex scene is has has really not been replicated, and it's like such a smart comical scene. Yeah, I thought it was kind of funny. I was, it's the, it's so yeah. cool, <laughs> like like just strictly from like a filmmaking technique standpoint. Like, it's just mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, this is so fucking... Like, just the, the time-lapse idea is just, like, so clever. Yeah. Um, to communicate that it's been hours. Yeah. That, like, or at least a long time. And we're watching all of it. It's yeah. not cutting away at all. We're the same sh- angle the entire time. And we're just racing through this threesome. This, oh, this over and over and over and over threesome. Uh... Which, I mean, you know, for all the other things in the movie, this is actually a consensual sex scene. I, That's I, why which, I find it funny. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, so, my light Wikipedia-ing tyranny, uh, let me just double check and make Uh-oh. sure that this is true, but um, I think in the, I think in the novel, um, it is not as consensual oh no oh yeah maybe i don't want to read it oh yuck i can i we i can confirm that and and come back to it but i think i read that somewhere um well in the movie it, well, it in the, the movie, movie it is which is yeah. good <laughs> uh also you know definitely freeze framed uh that <laughs> scene when i was younger just to be like what's going on here <laughs> And it's a lot of them just, like, hunched over. Like, there's, like, no actual... Like, when, you, when you're when you looking at it, you're like, nothing's actually happening. They're all just, like, in proximity of each other because it's a movie. But it's moving so fast that you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> They're doing everything. <laughs> uh, but it is funny, too, that they keep getting dressed and then immediately stripping. Yeah. And getting dressed and then stripping, like... But they all, like, take turns. Do I mean, Alex is naked the entire time. But, like, the girls just yeah. take turns being like, okay, that was fun. We're done. And he's like, no, no. We're not done yet. <laughs> the names of the bands, too, at the at the record store were always fun. The Heaven, 70, the Heaven 17s. Uh, and, like, <laughs> lots of little names like that that were like, oh, this is such a, like, fully formed world. Yeah. Um, which is the other thing is, like, I guess it was, like, some minuscule amount of money. This movie cost basically nothing. And it's because Kubrick wanted it to be as realistic as possible. So, like, used actual buildings, found those locations that kind of felt futuristic or dystopian. But it's all, like, real locations and stuff. The budget was $1.3 million. Wow. I mean, granted, it was, you know, filmed in 1970-ish, but still. Like, that is minuscule (laughs) budget. (laughs) Very inexpensive. I guess he also didn't want to do it originally because he didn't understand the language and was like, what is this? I don't like this. And then ended up like actually understanding it and then being like, oh, okay. And now we're actually going to do that language too. <laughs> like that's the script. <laughs> now. Um, but I don't also want, I don't another, want these. I don't want these. <laughs> another uh, moment that I found very uh, impressive uh, just film wise is that when 
and maybe this is I don't know if I'm putting too much emphasis on it but like in the scene that we were talking about earlier where uh, it's the church scene you're getting extreme close-ups of like the chief guard by that window that looks kind of like a church and you're getting a close-up of the priest and you're getting a close-up of Alex next to the priest and you're getting a close-up of the guy in the front pew but then when you pull out it's just a room it's not a church at all it's just like a very small classroom that is fitted to be a church but like because of how it starts in there you just assume that it's like a full-blown chapel or something and in reality it's not at all and i was like oh that's just like a move that just feels like a kubrick move to like reveal the space is not what you thought it was initially yeah i concur Um, yeah but I guess, yeah. I mean, we touched on the political commentary, the religious commentary, the violence and reform, and the idea, I mean, the end of, like, bringing in Ludwig van Beethoven. What, what made Ludwig him sick. Ba- van. Van. <laughs> the old Ludwig van. Uh, also, I mean... I could see this movie really setting people afire when they were when it first came out of like the chorus line Jesus the crucified Jesus is. Oh yeah. And the like flashing <laughs> of them dancing to this music is so in your face. Um, <laughs> but it is supposed to be like this man this kid is everything's a joke. Everything is mockery. Everything is uh like uh, tainted by him Beethoven's understood wrong and like the images in his head that are uh, coming when he's listening to Beethoven is like him as a vampire explosions like violence it's like all the wrong stuff none of it is like actually what is a healthy way to listen to this music that he says he loves so much and so and actually I actually didn't realize that until now. Like, when he's crying about, like, wait, wait, no, why is Beethoven playing? Like, I don't want to be, I don't want it to be associated with this. And they're like, oh, we're sorry. That's just going to have to be the way it is. Mm -hmm. Inadvertently, they are covering something that does incite violence in it, that does make him think of violent, grotesque imagery, Mm because we already see that. So, like, even in that regard, it's like the actual stuff gets addressed. And this other underlying kind of, like, it's not just a personal interest for him. It is, like, a a catalyst for a lot of his feelings and violence. Yeah. A complex film, to be sure. It's meaty. 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 Um, The last thing I will say... uh, as I am often do when I see a movie, I go to log it on Letterboxd. But then I also check and see if anybody that I follow has logged it on Letterboxd. And I look and see like what they rated it, if they reviewed it, what they said about it. And Jamel Bowie, who writes for New York Times, watched yeah. this in 2020. And he said, looks incredible. The lead gives a singular performance. And the message, to the extent that it exists, is shallow and vapid nonsense with a veneer of de- depth and sophistication. What I'm saying is that A Clockwork Orange is to 1971 as Joker is to 2019. 
Whoa. I think, damn. <laughs> I think I, I liked the movie more than he did, but I did, like, when I saw that review, I was like, okay. <laughs> wow. Hot damn. But I also, like, when you guys started talking about Joker, I was like, oh, fun. Yeah. <laughs> I think satires in general will always piss people off. I remember Matt and I once got in a in a debate because I referred to Wolf of Wall Street as a satire. You were like, it's not a fucking satire. I don't think it is. I think it is. It's just not a good one. I think it's as much of a satire as Joker is. It doesn't teach you any lesson in the end, and it glorifies the life that those people led instead of making it actually a problem. Because, like, there are repercussions to their actions, but none of lasting permanence or... But if a satire is just holding a mirror up to society... Sure. Is it not holding a mirror up to Wall Street? I guess. (laughs) But it's It's... also holding a, a, a... It's saying, like, but wouldn't you do the same thing if you were in my position? And maybe that is the satirical element to Wolf of Wall Street, but everyone left saying yes, instead of saying, oh, I oh, didn't. No. Oh, yeah. No. I think a lot of other people did. I think but a I lot think of. That's the problem with satire is that people don't always get it. Right. But I also think it's <laughs> it's the job of the satire to do it strong. Which is that. to Tierney's point. It's not a good satire. <laughs> right. Oh, right. I agree with Wolf of Wall Street not being a good satire, but I think. It's 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 not it's so far from what I would consider proper satire that it just kind of feels like excess, which maybe is I don't know. Yeah, maybe that's what satire requires is excess. I will say I love that movie, uh, but at no point when I was watching that movie was I ever like, yeah, I want this. <laughs> like, everything about this movie looks like a fucking nightmare. <laughs> Yeah, sure. I thought it was definitely a comedy. I watched that movie like a comedy. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, so here's what I would say to that, though, is like, I feel like a lot of mob movies, and if we're going to go on Wolf of Wall Street, specifically Scorsese movies, the Wolf of Wall Street is closer to a mob movie oh, than 100%. It is to any satire. And I don't think almost any mob movie is a satire, because I don't think it's necessarily <clears throat> teaching you more about society as much as teaching you about a specific group of people in presenting exactly how they actually operate and the dangers and the excess and the, uh, the comforts that that life of crime provides. But I think Wolf of Wall Street is as much a Goodfellas remake. I would disagree as... with that, but... We well, let's agree. let's hold off on those takes until sure. our future episode where uh, it's just me and Chris talking about the Irishman. <laughs> yeah, we'll and you guys can we'll jump in for your your Scorsese takes. You can fire those off at the end. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, anything else on Clockwork Orange before we go to the categories? Let's do them categories. Yeah, uh, I did just real quick sidebar. I did get confirmation that. Uh, the sex scene in the novel is not consensual, so mm, I probably <laughs> might not read it. Thanks, thanks for making that change, Stan. Um, yeah. <laughs> he was like, "We but, can't have three in a row." Yeah, but yeah. honestly, thanks, Stan. <laughs> no, like truly, thank you for making that change. <laughs> yeah. 
um, tattoo ideas? I mean... There's so many in this movie. <laughs> but also, like, do, do you want one? <laughs> yeah, I know. That's <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, you could get one of the, the one eye. of the statues in the Maloko bar. Yeah. Which just is a on a lot of stuff. milk. Or it could just, like... milk right under your nipple. <laughs> yeah. Or the eyeball tattoos on your wrists. But, or for this one, I don't do tattoos. I just get, like, those extension eyelashes permanently attached yeah. to my... Just one of my eyes. <laughs> Yeah, which that's the other thing, because it was so low budget, uh, the makeup artist was like, yeah, we just wanted to kind of create like a, I don't know, like a unique look. And somebody was like, what about fake eyelashes? And I'm pretty sure I just like had some. I think those were my eyelashes that I like pulled from my purse and we just put them on and that was enough. We thought, yeah, that's exactly what we're going for. So it is like it's such a hodgepodge of iconic imagery and locations and like specifics that it doesn't none of it feels random it all feels very purposeful but and i yeah along those lines i did laugh uh when he's taking them off when he gets home that night and he just like sticks them to his Mm -hmm. mirror so he can (laughs) just reuse them the next night (laughs) yeah i thought that was good um i can't imagine getting a tattoo of anything from related to this movie (laughs) yeah yeah. Uh, I could get uh, six double five three two one, which I, I thought was fun. Like as his like prisoner number, just six five four three two one. But instead of the four, they threw an extra five in there. Just like, <laughs> ugh. Um, ugh. <laughs> uh, would you guys spend time on this film set? No. Um. No. Man, I don't know. Definitely going to be a no for me, dog. The locations? Absolutely. I would love to see where this was shot. The actual scenes, I really don't know if I would be able to handle. I feel like it's a really intense. Both shoot and the content is so uh, realistic and terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's gonna be a no for me, dog. Yeah, I'll just like also, I said, I'll, I'll just go to the UK. Like it's that's true, like, yeah. I'll just go to the UK. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> but like it's so wet, like everything in it is so wet and like. Also, if it was a low budget movie, you know they were probably like skimping on. Yeah, like the craft services weren't like even that. gonna be good. Yeah. You know, like yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> the um, oh, the other thing that was interesting in this uh, co- the featurette was they said that Kubrick was actually very collaborative in, he said at the very beginning of any production, everyone has an opinion in this. If you have a good idea, I want to hear about it. I want to hear about everyone's ideas, from the limo driver to the gaffer to the set location scout. If you've got an idea for how to make this better, I would like to hear about it. And you know Uh, what? That's why this movie would be a failure in anyone else's hands. Uh-huh. Because even if no one speaks up, giving everybody an option to speak up in this particular movie yeah. mm-hmm. is basically giving everybody consent. That's true. <laughs> yeah. And the ability to withdraw at any moment. Interesting, yeah. Because huh. that's what I... the One of the things I thought of when they were filming... 
those scenes is I was like, okay, this is 1970. Like, this is presumably the first time something like this has ever appeared on film. Who are these women that he got? Because those are real people. Like, who are the women that he got to perform? And how did he, A, make them as human beings feel comfortable and B, also film it the way he filmed it? That's what I was like. I want to, I would watch a documentary on that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because it is like a balance that you have to strike. Absolutely. Um, anyway, that was just a, a, a thing I thought of. Yeah. Whereas now it's like nudity and that sort of stuff in film is all, it's like a dime a dozen. Yeah. Now. Um. A la Kill Bill. There's more. There are definitely more that I can't think of. Um, I was actually talking, this is completely unrelated, but I was talking to my, one of my friends uh, on my way home from the park where I watched this movie. Um, and she was like, what, oh, what movie did you? I was like, oh, I just watched a movie in my hammock. And she was like, oh, what movie did you watch? And I was like, oh. <laughs> Insane. I think that's yeah. a good segue to the next category, which I'm going to ask, even though we all know what the answer is. Would you watch this movie on an airplane? No. Dear God, no. No. Maybe the only clear never that we've ever had. Oh, yeah. What's the end of your story? Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah. Also, for the record, my hammock is, like, huge, so no one could see what I was watching. Except Um, for the guy that was in a different tree with binoculars trying to to catch what was on that screen. Nah. Um, But, no, so I was telling her, and I was like, uh, she was like, oh, is that the one, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, but, you know, not as bad as everyone I was like basically like this is not as bad as I thought it was going to be and um, and then we started talking about movies since then that have come out mm-hmm. and she pointed out um, it's also these movies are filmed or like those scenes are filmed with a lack of intimacy that now the camera is right there and the camera mm. does not need to be there <laughs> right this one is such a, a cold distance yeah yeah yeah, and that that was a just another thing I thought of in in terms of well actually she brought it up I didn't even I didn't think of it um, other than after the first one I was like oh thank God we didn't have to see it um, but yeah I was like oh that's another in addition to all the other stuff that Hollywood's done um, and as far as filming scenes like these I was like they've also brought the camera in closer anyway back um, to categories what. Uh, what character would you guys want to play in this movie? Uh, uh, <laughs> chief officer. I was going to say, it's easily, the, it's, it's easily the chief. Yeah. <laughs> There's literally no other answer for me. <laughs> like, uh, That's not true. I do think like his dad has some fun scenes. Like, Alex's dad has some fun scenes. Yeah. And he's just like so yeah. worthless. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I do love the... Um, I, I mean, I don't know his name. But like the the guy in the house, the the roommate. That's who I was thinking. Oh 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 my god! Real fun fact: Are you aware of who that bodybuilder is? Who's like I mean, the guy in the wheelchair? Like when they go, we go back to his house. Like the guy who's yeah. okay. No, he like I no picks idea. up Alex yeah. and carries him down. Get ready to have your mind blown. That actor is David Prowse, better oh, known shit. as. Darth Vader. That is the body of Darth Vader from the original trilogy. Oh, wow. Wow. Yep. So, like, that huge, intimidating presence, which also, the comedic value of having 
him be physically where the wife was lifting weights yeah yeah when alex just so happens to end up at that house is such a satisfying moment as the watcher to be like you picked the wrong fucking house to need help from yeah. you idiot <laughs> yeah. get ready because this guy is not going to uh be brutalized by you he will probably crush you to death um but like that's just and also the the moment where they have the speakers on the table and it's just that zoom out of all of them like standing still and like hearing him scream upstairs that's also just, i mean like barry linden this could have been that could yeah. be a work of art like it's framed perfectly and everyone is in these positions like this old renaissance painting um but yeah that's darth vader david prouse bodybuilder extraordinaire damn isn't that fun that is fun. yeah um zoom link we forgot to do it last last episode um matt or um chris made mention I think chris of it bro- yeah chris yeah. brought it up but I don't know if we like ever specifically said what it was, but the it was oil paintings. The movie was what I sent mm-hmm. you guys for Barry Lyndon. And then to give everyone a little peek behind the curtain, um, our text message group thread is Matt named it one effing dope Ramis. Well, he said roomies and then oh, well, he that's true. mistyped roomies <laughs> as Ramis, So then yeah. I changed it. <laughs> That's that's correct. That is, uh, that is yeah. So today's was one effing dope droogies. Um, mm. It's just like you know leaning into the the fun little language that we got here. Um, and then I think the last category. Remind me if I'm forgetting anything, but I think the last one, at least for the Kubrick run, is uh, how much of this movie is Kubrick flipping off the audience. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> I would say the whole thing. Just almost, almost all? <laughs> yeah. At least the first act, I yeah. think, is him saying, buckle up. Like, sorry, but it's going to be awful. Like, you're, yeah. you're really not going to understand why you're on this ride. But that's not flipping off. I would say almost none of this movie is flipping off the audience. I'd say this probably has the lowest amount. Because he's not saying fuck you to the audience. I think he's kind of saying fuck you to the audience. Because I think but a different he... director would have pulled punches thinking of the audience's reaction to them. And instead, no punches are pulled in this. And he's kind of like forcing the audience to deal with stuff that no audience, at least at the time and probably still today, wants to actually deal with. But is like forcing them to start a movie in this weird club. But that's followed not fucking by... with them. I mean, I think it's a fuck you to the audience to, like, throw people in. Like, I think Mad Max is a big fuck you to the audience, but it's, like, a joyful one. Yeah. It's like, get ready. But I think this one is, like, there's no time to prepare. You're going to see some three scenes in immediate succession that are equally disturbing and violent and brutal. And then you're going to see some more. Like, it's not, it's, it's, a, it's kind of a big... I mean, also, like, the Dancing Jesuses... And the scene of I Alex think, whipping Jesus, I think, is kind of like, at least to the audience at the time, yeah. like, fuck you. Like, you don't want to see this? Too bad. That's part of the movie. Okay, so I think I'm looking at it differently. I'm looking at it in terms of, is he on my side or is he not on my side? And he is on my side for pretty much the whole movie. Whereas in other movies, he's kind of just like, now we're going to do my thing now. And you're just going to have to deal with it. Whereas you can't get part B without part A. And the way he does it isn't ostracizing the audience. Do you know what I mean? 
I mean, I think this is a pretty ostracizing movie. I think I mean, <laughs> the reaction to it when it when it first debuted, the fact that it was banned, and the fact that it incited violence. <laughs> I don't think watching this movie that Stanley Kubrick is giving me the finger. I think he's giving the world around us the finger, and I'm standing there giving everyone else the finger too. Okay, do you think anyone watching this movie understood any of the language for the first half of the movie? I did. I'm sure people in England did. It's I mean, a lot of wordplay that they but the point, already use. But, like, the jargon and the slang <laughs> is unco- incomprehensible when they're actually having conversations fully in it and they're, like, having discussions about who's in power. Like, that's a pretty big fuck you to the audience to be like, I really don't care whether or not you understand these lines. I'm doing the book as much as I want to do the book. And I'm using this language as a way to get the point across that I want, which is that like this youth culture is dangerous. Uh, But I mean, that's a pretty big fuck you to not translate, to not explain what this language is, to not cut away from a lot of these really disturbing images I think at least the first half of this movie before the Ludovico treatment is a big fuck you. I was gonna say, and I mean, the end, the final shot is kind of a big fuck you too. Like you went through all this and guess what? That's probably Nothing the changed. only part. I'd say the end is well, probably I was gonna the say, only I part. I mean, like you also have two people on this episode who said we tried to watch this movie. Admittedly, like maybe a little too young. Yeah. But we like got 10 minutes into the movie and we were like, we're out. <laughs> Like, yeah, that's a pretty big fuck like, you. That's... <laughs> like, honestly, kind of like, if you can't finish it, you can't finish it, but that's not my problem. Yeah. Like, I'm making the movie that I'm making, and it's going to be a, a tough hang, but, like, you'll just also, have to fucking deal with it. <laughs> singing in the Rain, in that scene, is a huge fuck you to the audience. It's like, love Gene Kelly. I was going to say, that, like, G- like, Singing in the Rain is generally considered the greatest movie musical of all time. And, like... Especially in the 1970s, like, when there weren't a ton of other movie music. I mean, there were, but, like, like the other the other ones that would maybe rise to that title now didn't exist back then. Like, people fucking love that movie. <laughs> and he <laughs> ends the movie with it. That's the closing credits song, too. Which, fall, like, preceded by the image of Alex having wild sex in heaven. <laughs> surrounded by people rooting for him. <laughs> And then having Gene Kelly singing Fred, or singing, uh, uh, singing in the rain, for the credits after that movie, a huge middle finger to audiences <laughs> back then, and basically any audience that watches this now is like, "What? How dare you? Who do you think you are? I am." I don't know. I'm trying to think of how to articulate, how to articulate it, but I think part of it is honestly. And I wonder, and I should, like, it's going to be near impossible to find women who have watched this movie. But, Mm. I mean, one in six women are, have either been raped or had an attempt, attempted rape Mm -hmm. in the U.S. So, like, I think that to sit and watch this movie and to watch him, oh, you, sorry, my fucking dog bathing suit in his mouth sorry <laughs> just gonna be ripping my dog my bathing suit apart um that i think to sit to like watching watching those scenes felt different than in so many other movies because it didn't feel i'm trying to think of how to 
I under- it didn't feel like a fuck you to me. Right. It felt like a fuck you to men and to society. And that's I, I where think that's still I felt part like of he, the, that's still part of it. Like he's not flipping off like yeah. any one individual person. He's flipping off anybody who's watching his movies. And I do I think don't know. That, I do yeah. think that there. I don't know. Are, <laughs> what other what movie would you consider an actual fuck you to the audience Tyrion? of his movies of, of any, any movie of any movie out there what what are you picking up as a fuck you because i think that's inherently the difference is like it doesn't necessarily mean that he doesn't want to get his point across because i think he's a perfectionist and he clearly wants exactly what we're feeling to be exactly what is felt but i think what we've, i think david lynch can be uh uh, like I think a lot of his movies are kind of a fuck oh, sure. you to the audience. Yeah. I think that's probably accurate. Yeah, I could I could say that that's that's like a good metric, but I do think kind of like yeah, I think that's and I that's where that's the story itself is is not going to be everybody's cup of tea, but it's the way he's telling it. I think it is. I think yeah. inherently because it's like you who wants to watch what we have to watch in this movie. Oh, I mean, nobody does. Yeah, but that's the point. Is like, it does. It's 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 bad. It's medicine, and it tastes terrible. But you're gonna take it. So fuck you. Take your medicine. Like that's kind of his whole vibe. Kind of in all of his movies is like, is it fun to imagine the end of the world in Doctor Strangelove? No. But guess what? That's how I'm gonna end this movie. And is it fun to like hang out with? primates for the first 30 minutes of 2001 no but that's just what you're gonna have to do to understand this movie and i think in the same way clockwork orange is like do you want to start a movie i think like this no but that's just what you're gonna have to deal with if you want to understand the movie that i'm making i think that and this will be interesting when we do this episode i think the end of the first act of full metal jacket is a bigger fuck you to the audience than the first well that's not the question (laughs) the question is how much of this movie is a fuck you to the audience (laughs) like not how much of this movie compared to his other movies how much of this movie is a fuck you to the audience yeah i don't know i think i don't know the expectations are pretty clear right away that you kind of like no i don't know i think i know i think the end is a fuck you yes because he also changed the ending of the book. I think, I think we're all. I I think the inherent difference too is that like what us we as qualify an audience, as a fuck you. <laughs> well, no, like we are kind of like in for what the point of the movie is. Yeah. But in terms of what the question, I think that we're asking for, like in terms of fuck you to the audience, is like the average moviegoer at this time or any time so okay if they're going in to see a clockwork orange not knowing anything that's, about so it, i was gonna say let's, how much of it is like fuck you let's, this is not what you expect let's take matt's hypothetical here and move on to the last category which is oscars this movie was nominated for four best picture best director best adapted screenplay hmm. and best editing wow the Malcolm amount McDowell didn't get one no which i oh. do find kind of shocking but the like to to your point matt the amount of people who come to my theater that i work at anytime a best picture nominee is in our theater and just like oh yeah i just saw that it got nominated for best picture i'm just gonna go check it out like imagine like again 
that is the story that is being told here. But imagine you're just like, oh yeah, this movie got nominated for Best Picture. I'm going to go see what what's going on here. And then the first 10 minutes of this movie happen. Like, that's a pretty massive fuck you. <laughs> like, I can... I'm gonna but also that's say most I can... Oscar movies. I don't think you guys realize oh, that. Green Book? Oscar movies? Green Book is okay, not a fuck you out. at any at moment least, in that movie. At least and I haven't even one, seen it, and I know it's not a fuck you. I'd say at least one Oscar Best Picture movie, maybe not in the most recent years, but at least one per year, has similar content to this movie. Mm. I don't think... To, mm-hmm. I mean, I think the closest that I think we could get would be like a Softy Brothers, like Good Time, or in, in a lesser degree, Uncut Gems. Uncut Gems. Uncut Gems. Uncut Gems. I was actually which, just after. Can we just talk like, about how I didn't even realize that was her in that movie? Uh-huh. I thought oh. they were two different people. No. <laughs> no. She's Josh Shafty's muse and Anka Johnson. She looks so different. Yeah, she does. She's really hamming it up, too. I think she actually understands exactly what she's doing, and I kind of like water for it. That She's kind of a big fuck you to the audience. But in any case, I think like... To Julia Fox in general. It's just in general. To the world audience. I think she knows exactly what she's doing, and she's not nearly as dumb as she pretends to be. But she knows that everyone's going to go like, what the fuck is Julia Fox doing? And she's like, get ready. Because it's going to get crazier. I did um, it myself. I did it myself. Oh, I'm pretty my superstitious. Book, my novel. It's a masterpiece, if I do say so myself. Um, but no, I think, to Tierney's point, I don't think it's necessarily... I, I mean, I think you saying Lynch is your baseline for a fuck you I think is accurate for what I think would be considered a fuck you Mm -hmm. of like I'm gonna make the movie I want and I really don't care whether or not you understand it and I think understanding and enjoying are not necessarily uh, the same thing but a fuck you can kind of serve either purpose like Lynch is kind of like I don't care whether or not you understand this this is just the movie experience that I'm giving you. Whereas Kubrick is like, I don't really care if this makes you uncomfortable or impatient or disturbed or confused. This is what you need in order for the full picture to make sense. And I think a lot of people, obviously, from this movie, don't get it. Did not understand mm-hmm. the point that he was trying to make and misunderstood or misrepresented the meaning and that was kind of like an inadvertent fuck you, which I think is actually, to your point, I think it does hold up that I don't think he intentionally thought fuck you as he was making these movies. Because, like, if that was the case, I think if somebody cited this movie as being the reason they committed a violent crime... He, he would have kept like, it in theaters yeah. if it was and an actual said, fuck See? you. He would have been like, see, this is exactly what society is like. They're just yeah. using this as an... But instead he was like, oh, no, 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 you're not getting it at all. I'm going to pull it. I don't, I don't need you confusing what the point of this movie was. Um, I think when we get to The Shining, that movie is a pretty big fuck you. Not only to the audience, but also to Stephen King. Mostly to Stephen King. <laughs> Mostly to Stephen King. But I think in general, ter- too, like that movie is not a traditional horror movie in any stretch of the imagination. And I think a lot of people went there expecting that. And instead were like, what? It's not? <laughs> I no. mean, not in those terms, not back then. Well, I guess it's probably not far from the omen. But, like, it certainly is not following the beats of a horror movie. Mm. 
or ending in any way that people were like, oh, of course, he's a ghost that lives in this hotel. Like, what? How did we get here? The Shining is maybe his biggest That's because he dies. He becomes a ghost. Well, and he's just at the party a hundred years earlier in the 1920s. I don't know. We'll get to that when we get to The Shining. But anyway. I think, I think in some ways and others, this movie is a fuck you. I do think that it's fun, though, that we're all just interpreting this however the fuck we want to, though. So Yeah. Uh, which sounded sarcastic, but I genuinely do appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. It's fun and to just, like, debate a about totally, fuck you. like, fake like question that was put like that i just like i might even like i preface this on our first episode i might even be misremembering this but i just have a like i have this feeling that jack dazinski said something to me once like that and i was just like oh okay <laughs> so yeah and <laughs> let's, i mean let's the other with it. let's see let's see yeah, how that the goes. other half of it <laughs> is how much of this is a fuck you to the crew and the cast of the movie. Yeah. And I think more so a Kubrick movie is that. By, like, Oh, with uh, his takes and everything. Yeah. I can't yeah. remember who it is now, but they were saying how in a Stanley Kubrick movie, he had them doing like a hundred takes. And then the next movie he did, he shot a scene. I can't remember what, who the actor was. It was somebody tough, like fucking. Uh, we'll finish this, finish the story. And anyway, I might like, be able to tell this you. actor, this actor was like, "Oh my god, I can't do this! Like a hundred takes, I'm, gonna, I feel like I'm losing my mind." And then the next movie he did, we shot with Clint Eastwood. Oh my Clint god, Eastwood is notorious <laughs> for one and dones. Shot the scene once and was like, "We're good." And this actor broke down into tears because he was like, "Oh my god!" I know who this is, but it's slipping my mind. I know who is it? It's from one of the famous Kubricks too, um, but like walked off the set because he was so upset with Stanley Kubrick for doing a hundred takes and was like, fuck you. I can't believe you're making me do this. And then ended up like, yeah. But here's what I'll say. They're great. (laughs) I mean, he gets the perfect shot, doesn't he? Yeah. All right. Should we go back to categories? (laughs) Uh, I mean, that was really it. Like, I think... I, I mean, so here were the nominees for Best Picture that year. French Connection won, Clockwork Orange, Fiddler on the Roof, Last Picture Show, and Nicholas and Alexandra, which I've never even heard of the last one. I don't know enough about the movies that came out in 1971 to, like, have an argument. But it does I know seem, French Connection. Yeah, but it does seem crazy that this movie was nominated for Best Picture. <laughs> How could it not, though? How could it not be nominated? It's so well done. Sure, yeah. It just, like, it seems crazy. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, oh, here's another dude. Terrence Malick. I'd say most of his movies are a fuck you to the audience. Yeah, mm, I could see Yeah, that. I think that's fair. I haven't seen enough Malick, but it does kind of feel like he's, like, not paying attention to what we want at all. Or like making it a, even, like, us. a narrative that you can follow. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, sorry, back to categories. No, it's fine. <laughs> I think uh, the one that I was most excited about was best editing. Like, the one that I was excited, like, when I was, like, looking into it, I was like, oh, nice, I'm glad that it got nominated for best editing. I thought the editing in this movie was very good. Yeah. Who is the uh, best actor? Who who stole from Malcolm? Uh, Gene Hackman won for French Connection. 
And then uh, Peter Finch was nominated for Sunday Bloody Sunday. Walter Matthau was nominated for Koch. George C. Scott for The Hospital and uh, Chaim Topol for Fiddler on the Roof. That's it. Interesting. What do you know? Oh, George C. Scott was in Dr. Strangelove. I was yeah. like, how do I know that name? <laughs> He's Turgeson, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's it. That's... Uh, that's, the that's clockwork orange. orange we've done it that's everyone it. congratulations to all of us also one final uh note about the scene where uh alex is reaching up for the breasts and can't touch them they mimic that shot in the simpsons when lisa <laughs> uh has a shock <laughs> thing in some cupcakes every time bart holds it it shocks him and then later she puts two on the countertop and they do the exact same shot of him reaching up for these two cupcakes that have two cherries on top and then he can't grab them and just like curls into the fetal position is like and she's like excellent (laughs) because she tries to train him like a rat (laughs) it's very funny oh goodness um what have you guys been up to lately Um, i can go first yeah, do it. Uh, Why don't you just do it then? I've seen a few movies. Uh, I saw Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, which is just truly delightful. Um, also, less than 90 minutes long. God bless us. <laughs> More movies should be that short. <laughs> bless all movies under 90. I'm going to see it on Thursday. Oh, I'm so excited for you. Uh, I also saw Thor Love and Thunder, which mm-hmm. I thought was really fucking fun. <laughs> I think that, like, the criticisms about the tonal shifts being a little too wild are probably fair, but I also didn't give a shit because I was having way too much fun to care about the tonal shifts, so... I agree. Yep. I was like, you know what? Like, movies can just be fun, and, like, I can just have fun and not really worry about some of these, like, ah, (laughs) like, jarring, like... I don't know. And if Marvel movies keep wanting to focus on comedy, maybe actually make the comedy good. Yeah. This so, was... I appreciate the Taika humor in it. I, pretty easily my favorite of the Phase 4 output at this point. At least in terms of movies. Um, so I, I quite enjoyed Thor Love and Thunder. Uh, and then I also watched Twister, because I just like really wanted to watch a crappy movie from my childhood. And that movie's so stupid, but also kicks so much ass. So... Um, <laughs> If you haven't watched it in a while, watch Twister. Uh, and then I've also watched some TV recently that I want to shout out. Uh, I started watching What We Do in the Shadows, uh, the TV show, which is very funny. Um, I'm only like six episodes into the first season, but uh, I'm enjoying it so far. I'm watching Only Murders in the Building, season two, which is just like a really charming, delightful 30 minutes of my week. Um, I started watching Nathan Fielder's new show, watched the first episode, the rehearsal, and oh my god. (laughs) A lunatic. (laughs) That's 100% fuck you to the audience. Oh. Oh, A megalomaniac. (laughs) A man with no qualms or shame. I texted, so my friends and I, like, we all, like, I have a group message with a couple people, and we all love Nathan for you. 
and we've all just like ever since we heard about this new show we've all just been like talking about how like in equal measure we are excited and terrified for whatever this new show is (laughs) so Mm -hmm. i started watching it uh last friday night when the first episode came out and I texted them, I was like, we are less than three minutes in, and I am already so uncomfortable, and yet have laughed to, near to the point of tears twice. So I was like, off to a good start. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. My God, the rehearsal is so good. Uh, cannot, I don't know where it's going to go. recommend highly enough. <laughs> yeah. I'm actually scared for where it's going to go. Same. But Somebody I'm... tweeted, Nathan Fielder has all the power and... Uh, like evil of the devil but chooses to do little projects that just make people feel deeply uncomfortable <laughs> we're all lucky that he doesn't yeah. do what he's capable i'm of. just so glad any studio gives him the amount of money that they give him to make his projects and this one is a lot of money a lot of money the expense like, warner brothers discovery or whatever the fuck you're called now god bless you for just writing this ungodly large check to nathan fielder yeah. to just and it's an around. hbo show not even an uh, hbo H- yeah, max like, original or anything it's yeah like this is like gave him hbo money <laughs> this is prestige baby like, oh man, what a come up for him. Comedy Central to HBO proper. God yeah. bless. <laughs> um, and then the only other thing I want to shout out, which I mentioned earlier, it's fucking Better Call Saul, you guys. It's so fucking good. It's so good. Duh. This final season is just, like, crushing. <sighs> and I was thinking of, uh, so, like, the... I was watching Clockwork Orange, the guy that he, like, the... Like the writer that he goes he goes back to the house like mm-hmm. the guys mm-hmm. in the wheelchair and there's like several sequences where it's just like that guy's face and he's just like reacting uh, and it reminded me a lot of uh, Mark Margulies who plays a Don Hector in the extended Better Call Saul Breaking Bad universe the guy who's just in like the wheelchair with the ding and he like can't talk but he just like does a lot of facial Salabanca. yeah I was like oh he reminded me a lot of Ace Ventura's next door neighbor. Uh, in Pet Detective. Uh, who is Mark Margulies. <laughs> oh, it is? <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit! <laughs> so. <laughs> also, a, uh, an Aronofsky. So there you go. <laughs> Nailed it. But, yeah, the, the resemblance is indeed uncanny. <laughs> um, He's in The Fountain, too, my favorite movie. Uh, I've seen The Fountain. You He's actually in a lot it. of Aronofsky, so. But yeah, uh, Better Call Saul is great. Matt, get caught up, bitch. It's fucking I'm time. almost there. It's fucking time. I'll share what I've been watching because it's just been Better Call Saul. I've just been <laughs> binging Better Call Saul every minute that I can. I finished season five. I am shocked by every turn that happens at the end of every episode. Uh, and I just want to reinforce that Jonathan Banks is one of the most underrated actors that we have working right now. Uh, Mike Ehrmantraut, an incredibly complex character that is mostly straightforward with exactly the kind of character he is, but just like an incredibly deep pool to keep going back to. So I think I maybe knew this at one point, but I had forgotten and I was either like learned this for the first time at some at, like today or refresh my memory. But Jonathan Banks was not originally supposed to be on the show. Um, his the episode where he got introduced in Breaking Bad was actually supposed to be a Saul scene, but uh, Bob oh. Odenkirk was unavailable, um, <gasps> so they had to bring it. They had to like write a different character, and it ended up becoming Mike Irvin Trout, oh and we got God. like 
you know, like five seasons of Breaking Bad and six now seasons of Better Call Saul out of like just like a weird scheduling conflict that Bob Odenkirk had in the second season of Better Call Saul. <laughs> Incredible. Awesome. Also, I'm going to take this time to read a tweet uh, that I retweeted the other day, uh, which uh, it goes as so. I spilled juice on the kitchen floor. Mike Airman Trout. It's going to be okay. Don't panic. What we're going to do is grab the paper towels and place them down on the spill and let it soak for five minutes. No more, no less. Place the towels in the trash until trash day comes. But just that level of, like, just knows what to do in every situation and describes it every step of the way. Uh, in Like, the voice is perfect of this tweet. I was like, yep, that's Mike. Oh, Matt, you're anyway. in for some really good Mike stuff oh, in season six. I'm so happy for so you. Excited. And I'm also so scared for you. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I've just been watching a lot of Better Call Saul. I watched another episode of The Boys season two. I just don't feel compelled by that show, but I will finish it because I've heard it's good. Um, and, Here's what I will say about The Boys. I don't think it's quite as good as everybody else thinks it is. I just think it's really Thank fun. You. Uh, yeah, which you might not think that it's fun, but I just I think it's a fun show. So like I enjoy watching it. Yeah, that's fair. Um, <clears throat> watch the rehearsal. Uh, oh, one episode away from the end of season two of Fargo, uh, <gasps> which has been very fun and great. And Kristen du- Kirsten Dunst and Jesse, Jesse Clemens. Clemens. Yep, solid, incredible performances, and so happy they found love on that set, even though they're playing maybe the most dysfunctional couple I've watched on television in a long time. I think the second um, season finale takes place in Sioux Falls. Uh-huh, it sure does. Look at that, That's representing it. a boy. Um, also, Sioux Falls gets a shout-out in the boys' season three finale. Oh, look at that! Sioux Falls, on the come-up. Sioux's fall. Um, and I think that's all that matters that I've seen, because uh, I also saw Thor, and that was funny. And... We'll probably see Elvis again. Tierney, uh, what have you been up to? I've seen um, only Sicario. I watched one movie this Sicario! The last, in the last 11 days. This is the only <laughs> part of media I've consumed. Um, I watched the first one, which I've been wanting to watch for two years, but uh, through a series of unfortunate events, kept being fed the second one. Um, and the first one is just infinitely better. Had you uh, never seen the first one? No, until... I saw it in our apartment. was the last time I saw it, and I've been wanting to watch it okay. literally for two years. <laughs> and you just keep getting the sequel. This yeah, is a far, so far worse Sicario. Yeah, to the point where I, I watched this one, I was like, oh, this is why I loved it so much. Yep. It's so good. It's like a breath of fresh air. Um, anyway, that's it. That's all I've consumed because my calendar is a nightmare and I'm always outside. <laughs> yeah. But at least sometimes you're consuming outside. I'm always consuming outside. No, but I mean like you're consuming media outside. Like sometimes you're in a hammock oh, yeah. and you're consuming. Yeah. <laughs> that's the ideal situation. Yeah. You're also but consuming outdoors. You are consuming. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'll do that tomorrow because... My class is probably going to get canceled. <clears throat> That's it. We can't take these beginners out when it's, like, super windy. 
You, you know what happened if I got on a boat and it was windy and, and it I would capsize and, and I'd I, have to come and collect you. <laughs> yeah, but you know what no, I would, would say? You would just slowly roll into the barrier wall and then uh-huh. fall off. And then once you, you know, got yourself, uh, you know, above water again. Right. As you I dragged would love me up. to see Matt in a, in a dinghy. As you dragged me up towards the surface, I would say, I'm finished! I'm finished!